You may be seated. It's our privilege to have Pastor Bassett with us today. Pastor Bassett first pastored a church in a little village called Horsley, 14 years. And the Lord used him greatly there. And then he received a call to the great Melbourne Hall Evangelical Church in Leicester. That's the church that F.B. Meyer pastored many years ago, followed by other great men like Fullerton and others as well. Pastor Bassett was there for more than 40 years at Melbourne Hall. So here's a man who's been preaching the gospel for about 60 years. Think about that. Been preaching, not alive, but preaching for 60 years. Scriptures say we're to give honor to whom honor is due. And I believe this is a man worthy of honor, not because of his greatness, but because of his great God that he's followed. And I'm glad that he's with us today. I'm so thankful. You know, pastors need pastors as well. Pastors need preachers. And I look to Mr. Bassett as one of those men. I thank the Lord that God has brought him, brought me into his life, brought him into my life. And I owe a great debt to God that he has given, given me such a friend. I admire and look up to him and thankful and thankful to the Lord. 88 years old. Still preaching. May I just add, preaching better than most 28-year-olds. Let's pray together. And then we'll allow Mr. Bassett to come and preach whatever the Lord has laid on his heart. Father, we come now to the most important part of this meeting. Time when thy word is opened. We ask that thy servant may know thy help. We rejoice at the many years that he has served thee. But we thank thee that his job is not finished yet. Thou hast granted him this opportunity to preach once again the unsearchable riches of Christ. As he stands in just a moment to proclaim thy word, fill him with thy spirit, and enable him to preach, thus saith the Lord. Father, we would see Jesus. Use thy servant now. We commit him to thee in this time to thee. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and for his sake, amen. Seen it, of course, on the screen in our home um, most Sundays and sometimes on, on Wednesday in your Bible study. But one day when I was talking to Derek, these words came into my mind. The field is the world. It's much bigger than this plot of land here. The field is the world. I'm not going to speak in the context of this message about wheat and tears and the rest, but that is our starting point today, that 
the field is the world. Remember the Lord Jesus, after he'd left that great Jewish dignitary to the Lord Nicodemus, he, he dealt with the woman of Samaria. And it says in that fourth chapter of, of John that he looked upon the fields. He said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white, all ready to harvest. And a farmer once told me that when the fields are ripe, they should have been harvested. And this area and this land and this world is overripe for salvation. We need to put in the sickle. We need to go into all the corners of the earth to, to reach people, a perishing people with the gospel. I expect people to be saved now because now is the day of salvation and now is the accepted time. And those amazing words, some of the most favorite words in the Bible, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to that power that worketh in us. And so the message for now, not yesterday or tomorrow, but now is the field, is the world. Luke, the historian, amongst other gifts that he had, says in the end of his gospel, in that 24th chapter of Luke, he says this very important thing. Behold, this is the 40. The 48th, 49th verse of Luke 24. And behold, <coughs> when God is saying something extraordinary, he says, behold, behold the Lamb of God, because people don't realize he's the Lamb of God. Just look like a, another person. And how here, behold, he says here, these are wonderful, wonderful words. And behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And we must be willing here today to tarry until we be endued with power from on high. And Luke, when he wrote, the Acts of the Apostles, it was a poor title. The titles are not inspired. The scriptures are, but not the titles. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of Jesus Christ. And it begins all that Jesus began to do and to teach in those opening words of Acts chapter 1. My wife is not happy with this Bible because it's so old and uh, if you look at Acts chapter 1, you can see it's been preached on a few times. And uh, good that I know what's on the first, the first page. Of all that Jesus began to do and, and indeed to teach. And those are some of the wonderful words that we need to consider. And you see, there was prayer. Perhaps there was 10 days of prayer, something, before the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, of course, was a Jewish feast that God honored with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
as we'll see in a, in a moment. But it's wonderful that having listed in the uh, 13th verse of this first chapter of Acts, the long list of his servants, he says in verse 14 of Acts 1, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. Thank God for women of prayer. When I preached in Romania, it's changed now. But I was there even under communism. And the 5.30 prayer meeting, was there were women praying. They sat on one side of the meeting and the men sat on the other. And when the women prayed, it, it was like a, arrows being shot into the heavens. Remarkable, remarkable, you see, that there were many, many saved there in Romania when the Spirit of God was poured out. That's why I mentioned it. The, the, the Luke makes it plain about the women as well. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. And so we, we find there this extraordinary description of the, of the work of God. <coughs> but the thrust of my message is that the world, that is the world, you see. He wants us to take the gospel in, into the world. And that is something we need to do. That's something that this mission um, that we are attending today in, in ten, intends, intends to do. And you, you come, you see, to the wonderful word of God towards the end of the second ch chapter of Acts and the day uh, of Pentecost. Then I read verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word, Peter was the preacher, as you know, were baptized. And the same day was added unto them about 3,000 souls. You know, that's something remarkable. And when I was a young man, whether I was a student then or a young preacher, I was both probably, I, I remember having a sermon which finished on Pentecost with all the guns blazing. But I'll show you in a moment. It wasn't something final. It was but the beginning of the outpouring of the spirit of, 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 the, of the living God. And it says there, added unto them were, were 3,000 souls. And we're told about the early church. We're told about the characteristics of the early church following Pentecost, following the outpouring of the Spirit, and these people, these 3,000 souls being saved. We've got to continue. It's easy to give up, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love with all of us, ministers included. And so it's vital here to see this effect upon the world. 3,000 were added to the church, but they continued. And notice how they continued in Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine that Jesus had committed to them the word of God, the apostles' doctrine, 
and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You know, it's, it's something we really need to know. As I'll show you in a moment, the only way the world will be won is through prayer and preaching. They are the, the two tools that God uses to bring people to himself. And we're told here, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were, were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, faith in God's infallible word and his priceless son were united. us. All that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. But listen, they continued daily, not just Wednesday or Sunday, they continued daily. When the Spirit of God comes, as we pray, he may come down in a way today. We won't, have an, we won't be able to move. We have to come to, to stay together in a special way. We're not trying to make some things happen that would be nauseating. But listen, all that believed together had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as ever had any. And they continued daily, daily. That's what happens when the Spirit of God comes down, daily, with, with one accord. Notice the unity. In the temple, in the house of God, breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meet with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God. We need praise, you know. We don't just need prayer. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy glory bring. Oh, listen to this. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord. Here's the, the world being changed. And, and the Lord added to the church daily. They met daily, and he saved daily, daily such as should be saved. Here then is the beginning of the very work, the very work of God. And earlier, you know, in, in, the, in the in the first chapter, and in the eighth verse, it says, "And ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in all." Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. The uttermost parts of the earth. That's what happened. It can happen in this tent even today. You see. I mean, the two great weapons in our prayer and preaching. And if you go back to the beginning of the of the book of the book of Psalms, you you, you see this so wonderfully plainly in the opening of the book of Psalms. In Psalm 2, which I've studied for many weeks in Psalm 2, the father is speaking to his son, but he's also speaking to us, we who are his adopted sons and daughters. I was saying earlier, the two things that will bring it about being the preaching, preaching the gospel to every creature. That's what we need to do. And, and we need also this mighty prayer. 
the father, yes, was speaking to the son, but it's here for us all. We are, I say again, his adopted sons and daughters. Ask of me. This is Psalm 2 and verse 8. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the, the heathen for thine inheritance. You know, we can't preach to the whole world. You have visas and there's, we're barred from preaching in different places. You can pray for the whole world. You can reach more people through the throne of God than you can even through preaching because of restrictions that are laid upon where you can preach. But how wonderful. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen. It's limitless. The heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. I come back to show you what I said earlier. Through preaching. Ye shall receive power after it the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witness unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. But where we cannot reach praying to the uttermost parts, we can pray for the uttermost parts. Notice what it says here. And the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. What an inheritance we have. What a, what a, what a possession indeed to receive. You know, the great Whitfield preached on that text, I recall, of, um, of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 29. Oh, earth, earth, earth. Hear the word of the Lord. What a word. The whole earth needs it. To hear the, the, the word of the, of the Lord. And so we find through the outpouring of the Spirit and the faithful preaching of, of Peter, the converted Galilean fisherman, how wonderful that 3,000 were added to the church in, in, in one day. And I finished there. That was where my sermon would, would have finished when I was a young man. But I'm not a young man anymore. But I've had this promise. He shall renew my youth as the eagle. And that is why I have the same strength and the same voice to preach. Because God is the same. He will never let me down. I, I long to, to preach more. Uh, well, we won't speak about this evening. But things to me, if it's God, if it's God's will, I'll be here. I'm not inviting myself. I'm meant to be here. If not... Somebody will be here. God serve. But we'll leave that. We've got enough to do this morning. And so here, I used to finish in Acts 2 because of 3,000 saved in one day. But have you ever read on? In the fourth chapter of Acts, in the fourth chapter of Acts, we're told, howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, all that that might happen today, Many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men, not even the women or children, the number of the men was about 5,000. 3,000 on this day that we remember Pentecost. But later, 5,000. Five, and then you come to that point, again, the connection with prayer and power. In the fourth chapter of Acts, I read from verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken 
where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness and the multitude, if you've got it there in uh, Acts 4 verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, to, to handle great power, otherwise you become egotistical, you become famous. God have mercy when preachers are so-called famous. Listen to these words. And great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. We need great grace to handle great power. God cannot trust us with great power without great grace. They always go together. They're heavenly twins that we know on earth. Great power. And great grace. And this is to bring the world to know Almighty God. But as if that wasn't enough, 3,000 saved. 5,000 saved. The multitude of them that believed. Pentecost and the 3,000 left far by 3,000, 4,000. The multitude of them that believed. But he, it's not multitude. He goes on to multitudes. From the singular, if you like, into the plural in the fifth chapter. And the believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. That's what we need. That's what we're praying for. That's the greatest need that we can know in, 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 all, in all the world. And so when you go back to that great prayer in the second chapter in the second psalm it's it's we must go back there again and and pray it even here sitting it down or standing here we must we must pray for that those glorious words here they are yes 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 again ask of me don't have to wait for another prayer. We should be praying. You know, the, the marvelous words in the in in the in the psalm. I don't know if you ever noticed it, but I know, that's why this I've got this old Bible because I I know my way um, a, a, around it. Yes, here it is. Do you know who I am this morning? You've been introduced. I am prayer. I pray because I'm prayer. And that's why he says, ask of me. What do you say? Have you ever seen this? I doubt if you ever have. In Psalm 109. Here was David with many adversaries. But he says this. I read Psalm 109 verse 4. For my love, they are my adversaries. But I give myself unto prayer. The words in italics were not in the Hebrew. This is what he says. But I, but I prayer. It's something that's worth coming for and taking away. Prayer, we pray because we are prayer. 
Men ought always to pray. And the opposite to praying isn't not praying. The opposite to praying is fainting. You look in Luke 18 verse 1. And so here, have you ever seen this amazing, amazing thing? I am prayer. You see, he, how shall they hear without a preacher? But how shall they hear if they haven't got a praying preacher? Do you pray for your pastor? Do you pray for this work? Did you pray for me this morning? You know, my wife and I have both been seriously ill. But I'm on fire to see this afternoon, whatever the time it is. God is still God. There's much more to come. Much more to come. You see, so it says here so wonderfully, I prayer. The amazing thing, not only to have a physical and a mental constitution, but as a Christian, you have a prayerful constitution. You pray because you are prayer. That's why it isn't difficult, surely, to pray if we are constituted prayer. I am prayer. And it's worth coming to hear that and to suddenly realize who you are. Do you pray? Do you just pray for five minutes? Do you know what I would feel, my dear friend? Someone asked me how many, how long, yesterday, some Irish gentleman asked me, how long do I pray? I said to him, it isn't a case. When I pray, when do I not pray? Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Praying about everything. Oh, how wonderful to, to have that Spurgeon, you know, the great Charles Spurgeon. He said he loathed to go to sleep. Do you spend hours sleeping? He loathed to go to sleep. Do you know why? Because it broke. His fellowship, his communion with God, that was his secret. Oh, that nothing would break our communion with God, you see. And so here we have these amazing things. Here is the praying. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Here, give us this, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. You see, we can pray to the uttermost. Pray, he says, thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. What an inheritance. Don't it await your dead? How wonderful to know these possessions this morning. There we see it. 3,000 saved. 5,000 saved. Multitude saved. Multitude saved. And you think of my dear friend uh, Paul, my namesake. What a privilege. My mother called me Paul because I was born on a Sunday morning about 11 o'clock. I know exactly where I was born 79 Hendon Lane, Finchley. It was then N3. They've watched it, put stupid other letters now. But uh, that's where I was born, you see. And I've been back there. There's a Bible college on the other side of the road. That's where the Lord brought me into being. And he said, the church bells will ring. It was, it was Sunday. And it, it's Sunday now. And how, how wonderful to know that. And so you think of the great apostle. You think of the world. 
Ask of me and I'll give thee the heathen for thy inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And then you see the great uh, apostle Paul writing to his convert, uh, Timothy. And turn there to the first epistle of Timothy and the first chapter and the 15th verse. We haven't lost the thread. He's summing up his life. He's summing up his ministry. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying. There's many false things. They may be very impressive, but they're false. But the first thing about this saying, it's faithful. It's reliable. It's dependable. And every word of God and every promise of God is, is that. Adoniram Judson, who went out to Burma, the first missionary, a little colored guy came up to him and said, Mr. Judson, how bright is the future? And you know, everything looked black to Judson. There was no future. It was just darkness, despair. Perhaps we're in that this morning. The life seems thought of committing suicide lately. Growth and suicide has gone up and up in these days. But you know, Judson said, how bright is the future. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Peter, in his second letter, speaks of exceeding great and precious promises whereby we have left the world and we become partakers of the divine nature. Oh, my dear friend, this book is a promise box. Remember the old Victorians had promise boxes and you pulled one out and took a promise, but it's not lucky dip. But how wonderful this book is full of the promises of, of Almighty God. Here's the faithful saying then in 1 Timothy 1.15. It's a faithful saying. And because it's faithful and totally true, it's worth total reception. Look what it says. Paul says to Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, worthy of wholehearted acceptance. A faithful saying, a worthy saying, but it's a saving saying. Why did Jesus come? Why was he called Jesus, the Savior of the world? And this is the reason. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all that acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's, it's so plain. And my dear friend, we can have all the doctrine in the world, and I believe it. But we're not churches. We're not Christians if we do not speak of Jesus and his precious blood, you see. Eh? If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Isn't it amazing? I tell you what's in the tent. The blood of Jesus is in the tent. Invisibly, yes. Spiritually, yes. That's the most amazing thing. Nearer to you than the person sitting beside you is the blood. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ through the eternal spirit cleanse your conscience 
from dead works to serve the living God. You read that ninth chapter of Hebrews and about verse 14. There it is, my friend. We ought to be running over. We ought to be flowing. We ought to forget lunch. We've had a feast from God this morning. Feed me till I want no more. And so here it is so wonderful that he says it's a faithful saying. It's a heart, a worthy saying. It's a saving saying. But you can believe all that and not be a Christian. I repeat, you can believe all that and not be a Christian. Faithful saying, worthy saying, saving saying that he came in the world to save sinners. But are you saved? Are you saved? The great apostle says, of whom I am chief. Now, I want you to, he didn't say that when he was so far from God, putting Christians to death and all the rest of it. He didn't say it. He says it as an apostle. As an apostle. Elsewhere, he says, I'm less. When he looks at other Christians and you compare yourself with others, you feel pretty good. When he compared himself with other Christians, he said, less, less than the least of all saints. Eh? Extraordinary. The chief of sinners, regarding himself with sinners and regarding himself with other Christians, less than the least. It's terrible grammar, but it's wonderful theology. Less than the least. Of all, of all saints, you see. And then you see him in that famous chapter on the resurrection of 1 Corinthians 15. He says there that he was the least, the least of the apostles, least of the apostles, less than the least of all Christians and the chief of sinners. What a man, what honesty. Show us ourselves this morning, not to be depressed, but to bring us to, to, bring us to the blood. So he says this, with which I close. Yes, a faithful saying, a worthy saying, a saving saying, but it must be a personal saying. Of whom? 1 Timothy 1.15, you got it there? Is it in your heart? Of whom? I am chief. Eh? I'm chief. And that is something extraordinary. I expect people to be saved. I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but give your life to God. It's time to be saved. And some of you have grown up in Christian homes. I never had that privilege. But that doesn't make you a Christian. You've got to come to the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And how wonderful today to come and to be with the great apostle and say, I am the least. I'm the least. I'm the chief of sinners. and the least of all saints. I am. I'm the last of the apostles, the least of the apostles, the lowest of all. Let's pray. Take my feeble words, but take your mighty words, your mighty words, and save souls today. Honour thy dear servant, Derek Morland, for what he's done in this area and what is planned even tonight. Oh, gracious God, Will they not save? Will they not come and, and save us, Lord? Have mercy, Lord. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. 
Lord, it is time. It is time for thee to work. We're sick of living at a dying rate. Wilt thou not revive us again in the midst of the years? In wrath, remember mercy, and we shall put all the glory in the drawer for the Lord, for salvation is of him alone. We shall never pass this way again. Heal the backslider, save the lost, and lead us more and more to, to know something of the outpouring of your spirit. O oh Lord, O oh breath of life, come sweeping, come sweeping through us. Equip this church, this very day, this very moment. And we pray that we will not forget, we will not rush here or rush there. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted in the whole earth. Oh, precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Take all the honor. Take all the glory. We shall never pass this way again. Oh, God, I expect you to save. I expect you to restore. I expect that you will fill us with the fullness of God for your honour, for your glory, for the extension of your kingdom. Lord, it wasn't even men and women that were saved. We've heard about it, multitudes, but I'm thinking of those amazing words that spring to my mind. In 1742, in Camber's Lang, the preacher was a heavy person. His son said he, was, he wasn't very good at preaching. But the Spirit of God came. And there were more saved there than at Pentecost. In Campus Lang. How wonderful it was. It, it, it was said that it was like a Passover in King Josiah's time. Oh God, do it in Queen Elizabeth's time, we pray. And we will give you all the glory. Oh God. We must go on, press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. In the 17th century, Richard Baxter coined a phrase that George Whitfield would take and use himself. He said, I preached as a dying man to dying men. And you've heard a man preach with all of his heart. If you're lost today, if you're here and you do not know Christ as your Savior, you've never been born again, today is the day of salvation. Would you come to him? Christian church, we've heard it very plainly. Oxford is not the field. The world is the field. Praise God for this church. But this is not it. The world is the field. And the field is white already. The harvest.
May the Lord use us. May he raise up missionaries and preachers, Sunday school teachers from this congregation. May the Lord use us.